Acts chapter 4. I am determined to not preach very long today. I have a lot of ground to cover. So we'll move to the main point of order as we gather as the church of God, which is to hear the preaching of his word. You can remain seated. Acts chapter 4. For our text this morning to begin, we'll read verse number 8 through 12. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 8. The word of God says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means is he made whole? Be it made known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In Acts chapter 3, the chapter before this one, Peter and John had been involved in a miracle. There was a man who was crippled. He could not walk. He begged people who went in and out of the temple. And when he came to Peter and John, he expected that he would receive some monetary gift from them. Peter told him, silver and gold have I none. And then he told him of Jesus of Nazareth. And in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. And it was a miracle. God granted that it would be so. The people who saw this man who sat there every day crippled and begging, then saw him walking around. And the word of God says they marveled at it. A crowd began to gather and Peter stood up and preached the gospel to them. In chapter number four, the Jewish leaders were upset that this was happening and they put them in prison. They held him overnight. In Acts chapter four and verse six, they ask this question. It says here, and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked by what power or by what name have ye done this? Then the four verses which we just read for our text verses this morning, Peter was not shy at all to point immediately to the fact that it was in the name of Jesus Christ that this miracle had been done. We had a funeral yesterday for Edna. We're all praying for you and have done our best to try and support you as a church family. And we talked about the story from John chapter number 11, how Lazarus had died and Jesus saw the fact that his sisters and his brother were weeping they missed him. There was pain. And John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in all of the Bible says, Jesus wept, showing that in his heart he had compassion and love for the pain that they were going through. And then in that chapter, Jesus, the only one who had the power over death, rose Lazarus from the grave. But the point of miracles that were given in the New Testament for a time was not that Lazarus could live a little bit longer before he died. It was not that this man who was crippled could now walk. For one day he would die also. But the main point of all of the miracles was to point to the fact that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Amen. That he was God in the flesh. And as Peter said, he, they, they questioned him about the man. And in whose name did you do this deed? He pointed to the fact that it was Jesus who was crucified in verse 10, whom God raised from the dead. Then in verse number 12, neither is there salvation in any other. 
Jesus said to Martha, thy brother shall rise again. She said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She knew of that Old Testament teaching from the book of Daniel that we spoke about in Sunday school this morning, that all shall rise someday, some to life and some to death, some to judgment. And she said, I know that my brother will rise again in the last day at the resurrection. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see the point and the main point to to take away from the scripture teaching us that a miracle happened was not just that some hungry people got to eat for a little bit or that someone who was crippled got to walk for a few years before they then died. It's the fact that Jesus Christ who did these miracles and in whose name the miracles were done said, I am the only way to the Father. And it proved that it's true. Because all of us are hungry and we could miraculously be fed, but we're still going to get hungry again. If our sicknesses were healed, we're still going to die someday. But Jesus said, there's a way to know that when we die, we shall never die, but shall live with him forever. In preaching the gospel, Peter points several times here to one great fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, In verse number 15, here he's just preaching to the crowd that had gathered after the miracle was done. He says that they had rejected Christ. They killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. I'll get to a little bit more about this in a moment. But the apostles were eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus Christ was put in the grave. And then after three days and three nights, he wasn't in the grave anymore. It was not a secondhand story. And as they spread to give the gospel, they were simply witnessing what they had seen in person. Acts chapter 3 and verse 26. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Chapter 4, we already read in verse number 10 where it says that God raised up Jesus from the dead. Acts 4, 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Yes, that's why we're here this morning. Because in the book of Matthew, it says they came early on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, to see where Christ was laid. And the angel said, Behold, He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. And every Sunday morning, we gather as the body of the Lord, as a church, to celebrate the fact that the Savior not only died for our sins, But he is risen. Years ago, there was a precious friend who attended this church, a lady named Catherine. A few of you will remember her. And she gave her testimony about how she came to the Lord. And she said, mine was very different than a lot of people. A lot of people had burdens and and they just, they found the gospel and they were rejoiced and the weight was lifted off her shoulders. She said, for me, it took... It took time and I had to study and I had to know what is the evidence and what does the Bible say? What is the evidence that supports it? And when she came to the fact that she decided to give her life to the Lord and get saved, she said, what am I getting myself into? But she said she was listening to a sermon where the preacher said Christianity, the whole thing begins with a fact. And the fact is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And she listened as the preacher began to lay forth the case and give the evidence. And she said, she said, I I didn't believe in Jesus before, but in my heart, I knew something was wrong with the way the world worked. I knew there was something that I had to find that was the truth that would show me what it is. 
And as she listened to someone make the case that Christ has risen from the dead and that this is a fact that a reasonable person cannot deny, she received the gospel. Three simple points this morning. Number one, evidence for the resurrection abounds. Evidence for the resurrection abounds. There are many people who say, well, Jesus Christ was a good man and he had some good teachings that allow us to get along with one another and to find peace in his heart. But we don't think he did any miracles. And we don't really think that he was God. And we don't really think that he rose from the dead. I'll tell you this morning, I have a brain that's a little bit analytical. And I'm a numbers guy. Not that I'm good at numbers, but I want to know before we do something, does it work? When I'm in conversation, I hear him say, well, you know, when you have a cold, you need to do this. I reach for my phone and I start to Google because I want to know, is that just something people have always said? What does the evidence say? What is the data? And I would tell you this morning for me, If I did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I would not be here this morning. In my flesh, if I knew it wasn't real and I simply needed something to comfort me, I would find something else to try and find comfort in. I would sleep in on Sunday morning. I wouldn't miss the noon kickoff for the football game. But I'm here this morning because I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that this is a historical fact. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, a chapter that is all about the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul tells us over and over again, if there be no resurrection, and he boils it all down to the point that those who have died in the Old Testament are dead in vain. Our faith is in vain. We're wasting our time if there is no resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me? If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That is the philosophy of much of the world. And I will tell you, if I did not believe that the Bible was true, if I did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I would agree with them. Let's just have a good time because this is all we have. But that is not what the Bible teaches. And that is not what the evidence points to. My father-in-law mentioned Lee Strobel in Sunday school this morning. There's a fantastic movie called The Case for Christ. There's a book also. We may show the movie someday. And in the movie, The Case for Christ, it, he, it tells the story of Lee Strobel that he was an investigative journalist. He investigated crimes. And it was all about evidence and proving your case. And then something happened that changed his life. His wife converted to Christianity. And he began to get frustrated. He said, you're married to me. And now all of a sudden you're saying, well, I belong to Jesus. And your life is changing. And you're going to church. And you're talking about the Bible. And you're doing all these crazy things. And I miss the wife I had before. You made a profession of faith. And he said, I'm going to set out to do an investigation. Because someone told him, he asked a friend who was a Christian. He said, what is the weakest point? What is, I guess I would say the most crucial point. That if I could disprove that would disprove Christianity. And his friend said, the resurrection of Christ. If that does not hold up, Christianity folds like a house of cards. And he set out with the intention to prove that it was not real. And he began to examine the historical evidence, the gospel accounts, non-Christian sources that referenced the resurrection. And over a period of two years, as he studied and tried so hard to disprove the resurrection, he finally one day said, okay, God, you win. I can't deny the fact that Jesus is risen. This morning we say it's the year 2021 because the death, life, resurrection, and resurrection of Jesus Christ separated time in history. A.D. 
is a Latin phrase meaning Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. B.C. is an English phrase simply meaning before Christ. It's a historical fact that Christ existed. That much is completely indisputable. There's a man named Bart Ehrman who receives a lot of accolades because they say, well, he's very intellectual and he's very smart and he used to be a Christian, but now he denies Christianity. And he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus, where he said, basically, it's been so long since the Bible's written, we don't really know what it said, so we don't really know what Jesus said. And in one particular debate with a Christian, he, he, they, if you were to use that standard, you would have to throw out any historical document in history because the Bible is more well-documented than anything else else that was ever written. And if we don't know what Jesus said, then we don't know what Aristotle said or anyone else said. And at one point, the man who was debating him said, well, what, what about the Quran? Does it misquote Muhammad? And he got angry. And he said, why are you bringing that point up? That's not what we're talking about. And the reason is because he teaches at Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And were he to say that, he'd be cast out of everything he has if you were to say that. But the Bible, New Testament, and old thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that are faithful, that are able to be compared and know exactly what Jesus said, because it was people who knew him personally and who were eyewitnesses that wrote the Bible. The Hebrew Bible, even more so, the New Testament, when it was written, the church was under persecution. So people began to scramble around the world, and they made copies and copies and copies and we found them from all over the place and we know what the New Testament says but the Hebrew Bible they've in one discovery they'll go find hundreds and thousands of copies of the word of God all faithfully written and able to compare to each other and know exactly when it was written and exactly what it said if they made one mistake on the page while they were copying they would have to take it and throw it away and start all over the Bible is completely preserved At any rate, the man Bart Ehrman also said this. He said, if you deny the fact that there was a historical figure named Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you will be laughed out of any scholastic community in America with any credibility of all. The man who says we can't really believe the Bible because we don't know exactly what it says said that if you deny the fact that Jesus did that Jesus did exist, you'll be a laughingstock because You can't question the fact that Jesus existed. Then the man uh, in another debate who he was debating that was trying to deny that Jesus even existed said, well, then take the account in the book of Matthew or any of the Gospels and take out the miracle. And then what is noteworthy about the story at all? Jesus crossed the sea. It was boisterous. He miraculously made it calm. Take out the miracle. Well, Jesus got in a boat and crossed the water. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Take out the miracle. What happened? So they both had a good point. The one said, you can't deny that Jesus existed. The other said, if he did exist, he must have done the miracles. And my friend, there's only one logical conclusion. It's that he did exist and that he did the miracles and that he rose from the dead because nothing else makes sense. 1 Corinthians 15, I'll read you a few verses from there. You can look there if you'd like. But again, the chapter is all about the resurrection and it points to the fact that the disciples and the people who wrote the Gospels were eyewitnesses of the fact that Christ rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the Gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. It was not done in a corner. It was not kept a secret in the middle of the night. Everyone saw him go into the grave. They knew he was there three days and three nights later. And when he rose again, he went to the disciples. And then he said he was seen of over 500 brethren at once. And in the day that 1 Corinthians was written, the apostle Paul said you could travel, you could make the journey, you could be pointed to who the people were who saw him with their eyes. And the church grew and exploded after the resurrection. And it was not because it was popular. It was not because the laws were passed that made it friendly to give freedom. No, they were under persecution from the Roman government. And the Romans were angry that people were turning to Jesus because they were afraid it would take power away from Caesar. The Jews were upset people were turning to Jesus because it was taking away power from them. They traveled. They gave the gospel. They were missionaries. They were persecuted. They were beaten. They were thrown in prison. They were torn apart by lions. And they died not for a lie, not for a secondhand account, but because they had seen Jesus Christ with their own eyes after he was risen. And the gospel spread around the world. And over 2,000 years later on the other side of the globe, we're sitting here this morning in the name of Jesus Christ because those people who saw him after he rose from the dead Spread Christianity. Second Peter 1.16 Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we were made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We have multiple witnesses that point us to the Word of God, that point us to the fact that Jesus is God and that He is Savior. We have nature, we have conscience, but we also have the resurrection. If you're still there in the book of Acts chapter number 3, as I said, we'll continue to move quickly, but I'm going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 3 and verse number 18, because Peter pointed to the resurrection, but he also pointed to the prophecies of the Bible, and the prophecies give evidence to the fact that Jesus is God. Acts chapter 3 and verse 18, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after and as many as have spoken and likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, In thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. This was a Jewish audience, and Peter was telling them, Why are you so surprised? Why can you not see? You have the Old Testament. And he said in verse number 18 that God has already showed these things by the mouth of all his prophets. And then he points to Moses and he uses the phrase again, 
all the prophets, the Old Testament, the Word of God, which was written. I mentioned the Old Testament and how well documented it is. We know what was written. We know when it was written. And when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found a copy of Isaiah that matches the Masoretic text of the Old Testament and matches what we have in English today and what is written in the Old Testament. They found that 125 years before the life of Christ. And we know from history it was written 700 years before Jesus Christ. I wish I had time this morning, but if you go to Isaiah chapter 53, every verse talks of Jesus Christ as much as if you were reading the New Testament, how his soul would be made propitiation for our sins and how his death would be with the rich and with the poor. And over and over again, all 14 verses, it is clearly speaking of Jesus Christ. Micah 5, 7, again, written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, said that in Bethlehem, He whose goings have been of everlasting would come forth out of Bethlehem. Caesar commanded all the world to be taxed, and Mary and Joseph last minute had to go where? Before Jesus was born, it was to Bethlehem. It's a little bit complicated, but we studied Daniel chapter 9 in Sunday School for an eight-week series, which points to the fact that the Word of God said when the order is given to rebuild the temple, after 483 years after that, the Messiah will show up. And 483 years after the decree was given, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and was declared the Messiah. Psalm 22 reads as if you were at the foot of the cross. Tell me, friend, if the Bible is not the word of God, where is the reasonable explanation that 700 years before he showed up, it would predict exactly how he would be born and where he would be born and how he would die and how he would raise again and how we would be saved. We do not have a lack of evidence for the fact that Christ is God and that he rose from the dead. It, it prophesies of his betrayal, of the fact that he would ride in upon a donkey over and over again. We would not have time to point to the specific concrete evidence. We know what the Old Testament said. We know when it was written. You can't debate that. And we know that the historical figure of Jesus Christ fulfilled what was written. Why? Because it's the word of God, not just the word of men. What I'm saying is that a reasonable person will believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Many will say, well, I will not believe in that which I have not seen, which is not true. I've not seen any event in history, but I know that many of them are true because the evidence points to the fact. I've never seen the wind. I've never seen China. I've never seen Theodore Roosevelt, but I believe that all of those are real things and facts of science and of history because the evidence points to the fact that it's real. A reasonable man will believe that those things are real. And I believe a reasonable person, when confronted with the evidence and the witness that comes from without and within, will have to believe that Jesus is God and that he rose from the dead. Moving quickly, number one, evidences for the resurrection abound. Number two, excuses for unbelief are abundant. Yes, sir. Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They did not like that Jesus was teaching it. Verse 14, Acts 4, 14. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. The man's here. We all saw him sitting out front, unable to walk. He's here now. We, we cannot deny that this has happened. 
Verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They knew it was real, but they rejected it anyway. I think of Barabbas and how Pilate said, which will I release unto you, the murder Barabbas or Jesus who has done nothing wrong? And they said, release the murderer, crucify Jesus. Later in Acts chapter 4, it quotes Psalm chapter 2. And Psalm 2 talks about why do the heathen rage and the people of the earth and the kings imagine vain things and they conspire against God and against his anointed, which is speaking of Jesus Christ. But the Lord that sits in heaven shall have them in derision. He shall laugh. Hence, from that, Psalm 2 comes the phrase, God plans, man man plans, God laughs. But here's what we see in chapter 4. We see that they knew a miracle was real, yet they were forbidding anyone else to know about it. The Pharisees had the Old Testament down better than anyone else. They had all of the evidence they could not deny. Psalm 22, the sky going black, Jesus quoting what it said. They knew that he was the Messiah, but yet it says in Matthew 27 and 28, they paid some people to watch the grave and said, boy, if his disciples come steal him away in the night, then they're just going to say, hey, Jesus is risen. The people who were watching the tomb were there. When the angels came, when the stone was rolled away and they came back to the Pharisees who paid them and they said, he's not there. He rose from the dead. There's angels. He's gone. And we would think God in heaven at that point, would they not repent of their sins and believe in Christ? But it says they took money and they paid the people who were watching the tomb. And they said, tell the lie that his disciples came and stole him away in the night. You see, a lot of people do not believe in Christ And I believe that some are riddled with doubt. I see it in myself and I see other people and they're trying and they're trying to consider the evidence, but there's sin in our heart and there's doubt and they struggle and they want to come to God and they just can't. But God in heaven, it terrifies my soul that there are some people who see him face to face and who know that he's real, yet they choose to reject him anyway. Romans chapter 1 gives the progression of someone who sees God in creation and chooses to deny Him because they do not want God telling them what to do. And they go further and further down into all types of wickedness and denying. But it begins with denying Christ when they know Him. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. People will come up with all kinds of excuses to reject Jesus Christ. Some will say, well, I had a loved one that died early or there was a child that died or something awful and tragic happened. And how could God, who is good, let that happen? Some will say, well, there's other nations where people haven't heard about Jesus. What about those people? And I'm here to tell you, I could spend all day giving you biblical answers to those questions, but I could take them and push them all aside and say, forget about anyone else. What about you? You are here this morning. You have heard that Jesus is the only way. And you will not have an excuse if one day you stand before God to say, I didn't know. The Bible said I had to receive you in order to be saved. Thomas Jefferson created what was known as the Jefferson Bible. He was one of those people who thought, well, Jesus taught us some good ways to live, but I don't think all those miracles could have actually happened. So he literally took a Bible and took a razor blade and began cutting pieces of it out and gluing it together. And he took out all references to the miracles. And the Bible ends with these words. The Jeffer- Not the Bible, the Jefferson Bible ends. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus.
And that's how his Bible ended. Let me tell you this. If Jesus was not God, he was not a good man. Right. No one who lied that many times and said, I'm God, and said, I'm the only way to heaven, if he was not God, if he's not the only way to heaven, he's not a good man who could teach us how to live. C.S. Lewis thought about it, and he said, I boiled it down to this. There's only three possibilities about the man Jesus Christ, who we know existed, and we know what he said. He said he's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Either he was just a terrible person who made up all these lies to give himself fame, by claiming he was God, by claiming he was the only way to heaven. He was a lunatic and he was just crazy and actually believed it. None of it was true or else he's Lord as he said he was. Amen. And this morning I believe there is no other logical conclusion we can come to. So if Christ rose from the dead, if the prophecies point to it, if history points to it, if the witnesses, I believe this morning that every single one of us have a witness from without but also from within. Jesus Christ is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The law is written upon our hearts. We know it's wrong to kill someone. We don't have to be told that. We are all created with a hole inside that we know, as Catherine said, I knew there was something wrong with the way the world works. We know there's something else we need. And when we hear the story of Christ, I believe that the Spirit of God witnesses to our heart and convicts us and says that's the truth. You have to believe it. We also have nature. We have creation. The Bible says anywhere that a, a, any language is spoken or anyone lives, when someone looks at the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, that in their heart they will say, there's a God who made this and I have to seek Him. I don't believe in evolution. We don't look at a clock. We don't look at a beautiful building and explain it by saying there was a bunch of nothing that exploded and came together and made something beautiful and made order. No, we explain it by design. And the Bible says in our hearts we know that God designed this world. It's not enough to be saved to simply realize there's a God and I must seek Him, but it starts us on that path. Yeah. If Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, if that's what all the data points to, we must give the utmost consideration to what Jesus said. Even if you're just curious, even if you're seeking for the meaning of life and you're willing to consider any option and hear what everyone has to say, it would be so foolish to dismiss what Jesus said. Which leads us to number three, and we're almost done. Salvation is an event that cannot be avoided. It is an event that cannot be avoided if we are to escape God's judgment. We read Acts 2 through 4. We read verse number 12. It says in verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In John 14, 6, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. Dismiss Christ if you want to, but what was his claim? He said, I'm the only way to heaven. And believing in my name is the only way to be forgiven of your sins. What is the gospel? We read 1 Corinthians 15, 2 and 3. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received also, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He rose again according to the Scriptures. Some might say, well, why should I believe in God? What did God ever do for me? I don't know who you are this morning. I don't know what you're going through or where you're from. But I know this, Jesus Christ died for you. And Jesus Christ loves you. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Christ was not put to death because He did anything wrong. He was sinless. He could have destroyed the world right then if He wanted to, but He laid down His life and chose willingly to die in our place. It's a doctrine that's sometimes difficult to grasp, but it's called the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, a vicarious death. He died not for what He did wrong, but He died in our place. He paid our fine. He paid for our sins so that we could escape the wrath of God one day in the lake of fire. He was sinless, but I'm not. Let me tell you, I'm not. I have family here. There's church members who knew me when I was a teenager. I have a coworker here, and I knew some of my coworkers might come. I started thinking, how many times have I lost my temper at work? It seems to happen at our work a lot. Almost everybody does sometimes. But when was I a bad representation of Christ? I know it's happened a lot because I'm a sinner. I'm in my flesh. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, I think you'll have to admit you're a sinner also. We may not have killed someone or done these horrible crimes, but we've all told a lie. We all have darkness in our heart, and we know that we are a sinner. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes for five chapters that salvation is by grace through faith. You cannot earn your way to heaven. And then in chapter 6 and 7, he begins to tell the Jews that doesn't mean we can just live however we want to. God's desire is not that we continue in sin, but that we are freed from sin. Yet then in chapter 7, he starts talking about the laws warring within his members. And sometimes he wants to do good things and he fails to do them. Sometimes there's bad things that he wants to stay away from, yet he ends up doing them. He says, oh, wretched man, who shall deliver? Deliver me from this body of flesh. Even though he knew Christ, he was still a sinner. And that's the whole point of why salvation couldn't come by the law because he could not perfectly keep the law. Jesus was sinless. We all know what it's like to be under a time of stress and pressure. And we use the phrase, we've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. We exaggerate. But when Jesus died, the Bible teaches he literally had upon his shoulders the sin of every man and every woman that was ever committed. And as he knelt in the garden preparing, he sweat great drops of blood because no one's ever gone through what he's gone through. It says of the Father that he have made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And he hung on the cross, God in the flesh, incarnate, holy, sinless, one with the Father, creator of all things. And he looked to the sky and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because it was my sin. And it was your sin. In the five minutes I have to finish or less, I'm going for it. The Bible teaches salvation is an event. We may believe that God exists. But in the book of James, he says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But they are not saved. It's not enough to believe that Jesus existed. It's not even enough to believe that he rose from the dead and that he's God. And that He can forgive you of your sins. You have to receive Him as your Savior because God will not force Himself upon anyone. He leaves the choice up to you. We have examples of this in the Scripture. Jesus was crucified and as He was hanging on the cross, there was a thief, two thieves, and the one reviled Him and said, Well, if you're really God, get me down from this cross. But the other one said simply, Lord, remember me when Thou comest into Thy kingdom. And the next moment 
Jesus said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You see, he was lost. But then when he expressed his faith in Christ by saying, Lord, remember me, Jesus said, Today we both are leaving this world, and today we're both going to the same place. There's two different ways that the Gospel of John says it. In John 1.12 it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Then it says in John 3.16, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So receiving him and believing him are two different ways of saying the same thing. We don't simply believe in our head he existed, but we say to him personally, I believe in you, Jesus Christ, I receive you. The book of Romans says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was in jail and the doors had fallen off and the jailer was afraid that they all had left and he knew that he was going to be punished because the prisoners had escaped and he began to prepare to commit suicide. But Paul called and said, no, we're all here. Don't do that. Acts 16.30, and brought them out and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. He said, What do I have to do to be saved? And he very simply said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This happens in a moment. Nicodemus, John chapter 3, Jesus said, Ye must be born again. A birth is an event that we know the place and the time. And when it happened, and when we received Jesus Christ, we are born as a new spiritual creature, the same as we were born a physical creature. And that has to happen by knowledge at one specific time that we look to Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah 53, and Philip came by and helped explain to him. And there was water, and he said, What doth hinder me to be baptized? And when he professed that he believed in Jesus Christ, then he was baptized. I'm finished this morning other than to say, Please don't dismiss Jesus Christ. He is risen from the grave. And as he is risen from the grave, he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And simply by hearing the gospel, he has forced you to choose. He does not leave us the gray area to say, well, he was a good man, but not God. No, he said, I'm God, and I'm the only way you can have forgiveness of sins. I've staked 100% of my eternity on Jesus' righteousness, on Jesus' resurrection, and on His promise to save whoever would call. We're calling this Renewal Baptist Church. Revelation 21, 4 and 5 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. There's a God in heaven who one day will take away all pain, who will take away all death and all sorrow. And this God has told us very simply, we call it the Romans road, four things you have to know to be saved. Number one, all men are sinners. You must admit you have sinned. Number two, the penalty for that sin is death and separation from God in eternity. Number three, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay not for his own crimes, but for mine and for yours as if he paid our fine and said, you go free. But number four, we still have to choose to receive Christ as Savior. Eternal life is a gift, Romans says. I can take an expensive gift and give it to you. And I say, well, here's a gift, but first you have to paint my house and, and mow my lawn and wash my car. It would no longer be a gift because you have to work for it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It cannot be earned. It must 
be received though. You could turn me away and say, I do not want your gift even though it is free. Let's bow our heads for prayer. We'll have a time of prayer. The music will play in just a moment. I'd like now to pray and give you the opportunity if you have never received Christ sitting right in your seat with no one looking at you, no one embarrassing you. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands or anything, but I'm going to pray a version of what we call the sinner's prayer. There's no words that can save us, but if sincerely in your heart you will tell God something like this and repent and turn away from unbelief and from sin, He promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never prayed to the Lord, you could pray in your heart today something like this. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And the Bible says, because of my sins, I'll be separated from you in eternity. But I believe that you're God. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. And today, I believe in you. I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to come into my life and give me salvation. We'll continue in a moment of prayer. The music will play. You can come to the altar to pray or pray in your seat if you would like, and we'll be dismissed in just one moment. I'll be down here at the front if there's anyone who has a question or would like someone to talk with you about the gospel or anything you need, I'll be here. You can speak to me during the invitation or after the service. And if you receive Christ today, I would love to hear about it.